everybody this is brett and i'm christian and you're listening to the gilded films podcast 1954 year in review Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Guild of Films podcast. I am one of your hosts, the most beautiful and talented Christian. Nice to see you all. I guess not see you all. Look, okay, we were on another podcast where we were visually seen this time. So, you know, nice to hear from you and you hear me. But anyway, we're back. This is our 1954 year in review. If you've stuck with us with this, you heard us the last time speak about the five nominated films that were nominated in 1954. They were The Kane Mutiny, The Country Girl, Seven Brides or Seven Brothers, Three Coins in the Fountain, and the big winner that year, On the Waterfront. So um, I'm back as always, and hello to Brett. Hello, hello. And hello to our special guest, the one, the only, Zay. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I came here to talk about the history of Squishmallows. Oh my God. (laughs) now you can't see us right now there's a lot of squishmallows behind zay and like i thought only children collected those they bring me joy i want you know what i'm pretty sure they have universal monster ones i want those they do have monster ones yeah okay see i would have those though so i mean like they're really expensive they're really highly collectible also i like judge you and yet i have a big disney plushy collection upstairs somewhere and literally all week you've been like you need to see the bad guys it's so good leave me alone <laughs> let me have joy <laughs> you need to though it's a pretty decent movie but we're not talking I... about that we're talking about the films of 1954 yes there were a lot of them there actually were a lot of them um and in creating you know our top 10 and whatever or well, mine anyway i noticed that there was a lot in there that i was like dang i could have here but there's no room because i've seen so much or i really appreciate a lot of these movies so um let's see we have well it's actually pretty ha- it's half and half literally so half of these that we'll be talking about tonight were nominated for something at least something and the other half were not so yeah and no wins and no wins for any of these because as we know the big winner of that night was on the waterfront because that one eight yeah so pretty much dominated that year yeah so. daddy waterfront did you say daddy waterfront <laughs> yeah is that like daddy warbucks's cousin or something <laughs> from, from east paramus <laughs> To which to our New Jersey friends out there, hello, you're welcome. <laughs> it's a shout out. Anyway, do you, have, do you have anything to say, Brett? Nope, I'm ready to dive right in. All right. Well, the first one is, oh, it's me. It's my pick. See, this was super hard for me because there was one obvious pick that I was going to pick, you know, and then the next pick was like, ah, what do I pick? What do I pick? So I went with one that I haven't seen in a little bit and one that I knew that I liked anyway. And I knew that Zay had liked, and I don't think Brett has ever seen this one. So we'll get his opinion, but it is Alfred Hitchcock's one of two films of that year, actually. And another featuring Grace Kelly, which we'll talk about another one later. It is dial M for murder. 
dun, dun, dun. And it is, as I would say, it has the feeling of uh, rear window and that it really only takes place in one location. And that is within the apartment. Uh, the apartment complex where this all happens. So anyway, the plot is about Tony Wen Wendis, played by Ray Milan, and his wife, Margot, played by Grace Kelly. They are in a seemingly decent, fine marriage, what have you, until it is discovered that um, Tony may or may not be happy in this marriage, so much so that he wants to blackmail an old college friend played by, oh, let me get a name here. Is it uh, Charles Swan, right? Yes. Yep. Yes. Charles, yeah. Charles Swan, played by Anthony Dawson. He wants to blackmail him and say like, hey, kill my wife or else, you know, you're going to have your fingerprints everywhere here and you're going to get in trouble for this. It's going to be fine. All you have to do is sneak in the back way, uh, maybe, you know, open the front door. There's going to be a key left. Yada, yada, yada. I don't really want to tell you what is true, what is not, because this is one of those movies that you really have to see it. But everything's going to be good. You kill her. Everything will be fine. It'll seem like, you know, an unfortunate accident, you know, an unfortunate burglary situation. And then, you know, I'll be free. I won't have to be married to her anymore. I'm unhappy in this. So the night of this so-and-so burglary slash murder, uh, things go to hell in a handbasket. I will spoil the fact that she does not get killed. In fact, she ends up killing this guy instead. And that was really by sheer accident. Um, she throws him back and he falls on a pair of scissors. So, yeah. But now it's the whole case of like, well, how the hell did he get in here? And the whole case of, well, why is he trying to kill me? Who is this guy? I don't know who he is. Maybe some of these things can now be turned onto the wife uh, instead of Ray Milan's character. It's a very situation of like he said she said although we as the audience know that you know this is all planned or whatever but Raymond Land's character is very convincing and very menacing in that Raymond Land's voice by the way I really like his voice because he is a convincing asshole I've seen him in this and uh I think he is in another villainous role I'm pretty sure it's like one of those witch mountain movies from Disney mm -hmm. but correct me if I'm wrong with that but anyway he's very good in this I will say Grace Kelly's also She's decent in this. I mean, I don't feel like there's a whole bunch for her to do in this because her character does disappear through most of this. The twists and turns in this are great. Um, there's always that real MacGuffin in here. And in this case, it's a particle of, not a particle of clothing, but I'm trying to think of. It's a case. It's something that's something that's going to hold on to. But that and some other things, that's really great. But Alfred Hitchcock really had two pretty damn good films for 1954 um and i do really like and i finally noticed and i guess i've never really noticed this before it does take place like i said in this one apartment complex and that in and of itself is pretty damn unique because for two people who seem like they're pretty well off it feels like a very enclosed apartment space i don't know if you two felt that way but I mean, when she opens the door from the bedroom from point A to point B where the window is, it's like not that far away. But I don't know. That might be forced perspective. But yeah, um, definitely watch this film. It's in, I would say it's pretty incredible. It's not in like my top 10 or so of his films, but it's very high up there. So that is Dial M for Murder. And also, if you happen to watch it in 3D, I don't know what 3D is going to be in this. I could not tell you, but yeah, there you go.
I don't know how to watch it in 3D. Is there like, is there an option to watch in 3D anywhere? Yeah, because every time I look on Amazon, like if I wanted to buy it, they give you the 3D option to purchase it. Like, like for a Blu-ray. Well, my DVD does not have that. Um, but yes, this is one of my top 10 Hitchcock films. I really enjoy it. I love the tightness of the script. I love the claustrophobia of the set. We just love a tight script. Oh my God. Thank you, Mae West. <laughs> um, but I just really, I, I think it's under, you know, Hitchcock only worked in like five or six little like sub genres. And this is like the perfect murder one. And I, I think this is one of my, like, I don't know. I love to figure out what he wants to make the perfect murder look like and then undo it to say there is no perfect murder. That no matter what, they're going to get caught. Um, even though there's not necessarily a murder in this movie. Um, or is there? Uh, no spoilers! Um, um, but yeah, I think Grace Kelly had a really good year. I think Hitchcock had a really good year. I think cinema had a really good year. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um, but no, I think it is definitely one of his more underrated films, um, especially given that it's the same year as Rear Window. That's definitely overshadowed by Rear Window. But I love it. And you should... He, like, made it a huge telephone prop to, like make the emphasis on the telephone. I don't know. I think that's cool. I The photo of him just chilling on that telephone, I love it. It's one of my favorite pictures of him. That's all. Yeah, I completely agree um, with this being one of Hitchcock's most underrated that I've seen and, and with the idea that it was kind of overshadowed by Rear Window because if you approach it from the lens of how is this compared to Rear Window, of course, it's not going to live up. Um. But I think it's fantastic. To, to me, it's a five-star Hitchcock movie. I mean, I don't. It's not like tops of the tops for me among like his top five or whatever. But within that top tier, uh, I I was so. I mean, when I watch a Hitchcock movie, I want to be glued to it. You know, I, I want to have to not look away, and that's exactly how I felt watching this. Um, perfect marriage between a script and a director. I mean. Just nobody else could do this as effectively. It, it's almost like, you know, it, it, it's almost like you're surprised this is so, something that the director wouldn't have written um, just because they go together so well. And the, the script is so detail oriented so that when they're they're setting up this crime and the crime happens and then everything is getting figured out, it all just flows so nicely. And I, Raymond um, is like so proper but has that undertone of being so sleazy at the same time and does it so perfectly the other one that i really like in this movie is john williams um not the composer of course but the actor who shows up and is like the chief inspector in the case i think you know he comes in and kind of like steals the show for the latter half of the movie for me just the way and again part of that is just because the script works so greatly in his favor but he delivers it so well. Um, it's almost like being a viewer and knowing like when he shows up and is acting kind of innocent towards 
uh, towards Tony, it's like, you know, he's got something up his sleeve, but what is it? And you're just waiting to see. And I don't know. He hides that so well. Um, but no, I, yeah, that the whole thing about it taking place in one room, it's, you know, Hitchcock is going to do different things with the camera. He's not going to let it stay static for too long. And I think that helps with it feeling both claustrophobic, but also open. Uh, it, it didn't feel too confined. Um, so yeah, I really love it. I, I ate it up. A lot of fun. Um, like you said, underrated Hitchcock and it's awesome. Um, I really like the, I mean, okay. So like Hitchcock and women were very, it's a complicated situation, especially with the whole Grace Kelly factor, because after he met her and put her in what three movies, right? I think it's three between the window to catch a thief. Yeah. It was like, that was the epitome of what my women need to be and everything. But like, I've heard stories and I think too, from Eva Marie Saint, where she said like a North by Northwest where he was like, I don't care the, the characters, emotions and stuff. I just like, what are you doing? You're sitting on the train, whatever. But like reading about this and like the power that Grace Kelly had in one particular scene. And it's the scene where she gets up and goes to the telephone when it's ringing where he's like, well, she needs to put on her night coat and, you know, walk around. And she's like, hitch, listen, what woman is just going to get up? Oh, I got to put my night coat. She's going to get up in her pajamas, whatever the hell she's wearing, and just walk to it. And he's like, oh, yes, my love. I'll do whatever you say. Like the power that Grace Kelly has over this man, you know, but also to listen to her. Like one of the few yeah. people you're going to be listening to, because I mean, we'll get to the whole rear window thing. But even like the Jimmy Stewart and him relationship, they have a good relationship, but he didn't always listen to him or he always was like, yeah, I don't know what you're doing. But Grace Kelly, it's like, hey, girl. <laughs> what? <laughs> Am oh, I defending that... Grace Kelly? I... <laughs> Get it out now because later it's not going to be there. So. <laughs> no. God. Um, but in watching this, and I know this is based on a stage play also, and it did feel very much like I could watch this on stage, you know, mm. and that's because of the whole one setting thing. And I like that Hitchcock does that. And it's because it's like those little, I wouldn't even say quirks. It's a spark of creativity to do it like this, to do the rear window thing, to do rope in like a one shot take in the singular apartment, you know, just, I, I don't know. That's why he's like literally, would I say? Well, okay. So he's my favorite classical director modern director we've had that discussion before mm. but yeah yeah i think it works so well because you still get the feeling that there is a world outside of this mm. you know the, the door that's used the most in the movie is the front door to the apartment that or the the one to the garden so like exits to the world out there and you have the scene where they're kind of like watching through the window and waiting to see what he'll do so i think like it even though the plot it all takes place in this confined space we know there's something else out there and that's impacting this so that helps too um uh it was an afi's list of 100 years 100 thrills definitely number 48 on that and then number nine in its top 10 top 10 mysteries which yeah because that whole second half is like mystery that whole second half had me doubting half the time for a lot of things <laughs> yeah Definitely. 
And it was also remade in 1981 with Angie Dickinson and Christopher Plummer. I am Miss Angie. And I'm Miss Angie Dickinson. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was a remake also called A Perfect Murder in 1988, yeah. which I in knowing about this movie, my parents like this movie with Michael Douglas, Viggo Mortensen, and Goop herself, Miss Gwyneth Paltrow. That sounds like the three who would be in that movie. So it was a hit. It was a pretty big hit. Was it really? It made 128 million off of 60. Wow. What? Huh. Yeah, that is a hit. 1998. Mm-hmm. Wow. Interesting. I don't know. They like that movie. I like anything Michael Douglas. Anyway, this received zero nominations. Oscars didn't love it so much. Oscars were like Hitchcock. Never heard of them. All right. Well, that one is very fun. Definitely check it out. Any final thoughts on Dial M for Murder? Like you both said, it's very, very underrated. Yes. Definitely one to check out if you think you've seen all the important Hitchcock movies. Absolutely. All right, Zay, you've got our next one, so go ahead and take us away there. I do. It is called The Earrings of Madame De... Dot, dot, dot. I, I think that's how you're supposed to say it. <laughs> Directed by Max Ophuls. Sounds right. French isn't my forte. Um, it is about an aristocratic woman named Louise, uh, who is married to Andre. Louise played by Danielle Darrow, and Andre played by Charles Boyer. I know how to pronounce that. <laughs> um, they're fancy, rich ass people, and they're like tut tut, oh la di da, as the French aristocrats be. But they have some money issues and Louise is just like, well, I can't part with all these jewelry. I love this all too much, but these earrings, ugly. However, those earrings were a wedding gift. And so she goes to the jeweler who sold the earrings to her husband is like, you know, they're good. I know they're good. I'm going to sell them to you. And he's like, I could never. She said, you will. And then they do. And then he tells the husband. But the husband is acting like nothing happened. And he gives it to his mistress. And then she sells the earrings to pay off a debt. And then it's just a story about how this married couple, they're not the worst married couple, but they can maybe do better, but they still love each other, and they don't know what to do with all that, and then the earrings just keep passing hands, and they're like, do I need to keep buying it? There's, I think he's like, has to buy the earrings like four or five times by the end of the movie. Um, and yeah, it's just very French, very European, but it has a lot of really good set pieces, a lot of good costumes, because it was one nomination, for best costume in black and white. Um, the one movie where I say beautiful gowns and I mean it. Was it not? It didn't win though, did it? No. No, I didn't think so. But it was, it's, it's a very crafty film. 
I and I I think uh, looking at the letterbox ratings, I may like this less than you guys, but I do like it. It just didn't grab me, and I don't know why. I think it's something that I'll definitely probably like more in the future if I rewatch it. I don't know. I just saw that it is very well made and everyone's acting their ass off. It's very good. Even if I'm not a big Charles Boyer fan. Um, yeah. Uh, I saw that Brett basically had a revelation over it. Which is, which is why we're going to go to me next because it's funny to see that it's like in terms of star ratings, you are three and a half. I'm four. Brett's four and a half. So we're going to go up the ladder here. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So with me, I've seen this before. Um, I think I liked it a little bit more the last time. It, I mean, it's always like the first time I see something, I love it. And then, you know, it wears on me. But in this case, I did like it. I think I really like this, the, the premise of it that, and my review was so simple. It's a pair of, it's a piece of jewelry or whatever, but that <laughs> all of this commotion and all of this, you know, what have you, all comes down to some damn earrings. And some earrings that are, I mean, they're extravagant or whatever, but everything is changed in all of these people's lives because of a set of earrings that get sold off and just an unhappiness about it all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still liked it and everything. I don't know if I would ever really, I don't know if I would ever really sit down and see this again, um, just because I've seen it now twice. Um, I understand you know, the feelings that I have about it. Um, and yes, beautiful gowns, great gowns, beautiful gowns, really beautiful sets too. Mm -hmm. I think you touched upon that, but I really do like the sets in this. Charles Boyer is, I just like his voice in both English and French. I like his voice and it's just like, I don't know, it's something. But then um, Danielle, Deru, Deru, we. No, we. Oui? Whenever I say someone's last name and that's supposed to be French, I just take off the last like three letters and I think that's <laughs> how you pronounce it. We. Oui. Um, I don't know why she. I got like Greer Garson vibes from her. That's why I liked her. Okay. Yeah. We'll go so with, you, we'll go with you Danielle can... Day. Dot dot dot. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I also like the title of this because you could literally this could be about anybody, and it's because you don't get a last name out of this, you know. It could be like Madame de somebody in the provincial French countryside who just happens to have these fancy ass earrings, you know? Okay, hey. now we're going to go one more step up the ladder. Wait, wait, wait. Come back down the ladder one second. One ladder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I did have a point that I forgot to mention that I feel like this is a movie that maybe Asghar Farhadi likes. I don't know. It just mm, feels like, yeah. like something so small has such a big metaphorical resoundingness to the entire plot and i'm like it did remind me of some of his films who As no doubt for <laughs> hottie oh i thought you, oh girl, i thought you said somebody else <laughs> <laughs> yes this movie reminded me of woody allen <laughs> <laughs> that's what i thought you said wow <laughs> took a turn oh my God. <laughs> yes, right. but you're not wrong you're not wrong karate <laughs> yeah i i didn't think of that but absolutely i completely agree all right um, now brett yeah i i i just it does everything really really well 
like like you both said, like the technical craft is amazing. Um, the scene where Danielle and uh, Vittorio De Sica, who I also think is great in this movie, um, but they're they're kind of dancing and like it's it's like going through time, but it's all like one continuous take. And it's like they go back here, and then a night has passed, and they're back again, and they're just kind of dancing to and fro and. I really like things like that. And, and there's a lot of that in this movie to where the camera is moving and it kind of has a flow to it. Um, but I think just it, it pairs nicely with the plot that we have going here. Cause I think it helps it feel a little bit lighter than it would otherwise. Cause the plots like these, where you have one thing and it's going into all these different hands and influencing people in different ways they can become really contrived really easily. And when I think about the plot of this movie, I'm like, that that kind of sounds pretty contrived, but I don't feel that when I'm watching it. Um, it just flew, it, it flows really nicely for me. Um, so yeah, obviously the set designs, the costumes, like you both mentioned, are just fantastic, really grand, um, kind of a, a low-key spectacle in that way. And the performances, um, Danielle, I, Dario, I, I think she's great. I think that's a performance that kind of builds as the movie goes along. And it's one of those that just kind of gets better as, as we get closer to her character. Um, and like I said, Desika, I, maybe I'm biased because I really like him as a director, but I just thought he showed up and brought uh, a, a strange kind of charisma to this um, that kind of offsets Charles Boyer's character and, and worked really well for me. So I don't know. I get what you're saying, though, because I the the reason for as much as this does really, really well and for as much as I can't find fault in it, I don't have the passion for it like I do for some other movies. And that's what's preventing that five stars from me. Um, maybe on future watches, I'll, I'll grow to like really, really love it more. Um, but for me, it's a movie that I really, really enjoy uh, and very much respect. And what it I think the biggest thing for me is this Max O'Fools. I, the director, I'm not familiar with his work, um, but I'm 1000% more interested after watching this. So you should watch um, La Ronde. I watched it when we did the 1950 episode. Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah. That's the one I keep seeing showing up everywhere on all the websites. So yeah, that was also my first of his also there's a film called lola montes that he did that i hear is actually really good well the criterion cover of both this um the earrings of madame de and lola montes are like so gorgeous they're like yeah. look you do judge sometimes a criterion by its cover <laughs> i mean i'm looking at his filmography on letterbox these posters are mm, french kiss yeah i agree Oh, and fun fact, like this was his uh, penultimate film, it looks like. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and our good friend James Mason, it says on the Wikipedia page, wrote a poem about the director. What do you know? Oh, that's the James I keep wondering is going to show up. I'm sure well, he'll make an appearance at some point. He's still but... in the dressing room. He's okay, still in the dressing yeah, room. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Any further thoughts on the earrings of Madame Day? Dot, dot, dot. 
I like how you both say madame like different ways and literally it's like if we're saying French here wouldn't it be like madame de I think we've established we're not very good at French on this podcast so (laughs) sure (laughs) (laughs) well for our next movie somebody's gonna sing it for us I don't think that's true (laughs) um Feel free to take it on whether you sing or not. Thank you. <laughs> For no pressure. <laughs> um, our next film is a dearly beloved. It is Johnny Guitar, directed by the incredible Nicholas Ray. Starring none other than Joan Crawford. The in, the owner of a rootin' tootin' saloon in the Old West, New West. It's a Western, but it's a new take on the Western. It's, you know, uh, Joan plays this uh, named Vienna. And she's kind of friends with all the people that, all the people in town hate them. So they also hate her. They want to get her out of town. They want to get, get rid of her saloon because the saloon is, means no good business um including a woman named emma who i think is especially angry with vienna and i think it's for gay reasons um and then we have the titular character johnny guitar who comes in from out of town but he and vienna have a past together um and then it just turns into a big old rootin' tootin' shootin' brawl between the no good nicks and the townspeople you know it's a western but um it's very good it has i think this might be my favorite western of all time if i had to be held at gunpoint in the saloon and they were like hey partner what's your favorite western um you wouldn't start start singing no (laughs) would that be me that would be you but I love Joan Crawford is giving, I mean, she's Joan Crawford. She's going to do her best. But I think this is in my top three favorite performances by her. Um, maybe five, if I have to think about it. But still, one of my favorites. Um, and I think this time watching it, I noticed that it's so interesting that I let what what did I, I I did a time count. The first 37 minutes of this film is like all takes place is basically one scene. There's not like a very significant time jump in that first 37 minutes. Like there's it's clearly not just 37 minutes in the movie, but I don't think it's more than an hour. And I think that's neat that that's like the first third of the movie is just everything happening in that saloon to establish the rest of the film. Um, and it really sets up her character that she's just like taking all this shit, but she's not gonna stand down no matter what, even though, it, like if I was dealing with all that, I'd be like on the floor and she'd be like, leave me alone. I can't handle this. Um, yeah. And I don't know, just Joan Crawford and pants. I'm like, hey, that that'll get, that gets my movie ticket. Um, but yeah, I 
and she had like a lot of like back stage like um drama with Mercedes McCambridge who played Emma which I think really helped fuel like the hatred they have toward each other in the movie that's low-key like I don't know why she's so obsessed with her and they're like talking about the lovers that they share I'm like I think y'all just used to eat each other's pussies and now you're mad because you don't anymore um and I also did not realize that she was the voice of the demon and the exorcist did you know this? You knew that. I did not. I knew that, actually. <laughs> I knew that. Everybody knows that. I didn't. I'm sorry, everyone. Okay, so this means that you've never looked at my personal supporting actress list for 1973. <laughs> because I clearly have on there Linda Blair slash Mercedes McCambridge as Reagan slash Pazuzu. Listen, you send me a new one every single year. I can't go <laughs> <laughs> through every single page um but yeah i love this movie christian is the one who told me to watch it decades ago eons is it ago. really me yeah you were the one that introduced me to this movie oh wow yeah i don't remember i think it was before i got letterboxd maybe mm, can't say it for sure but good ass movie I'm going to kill you. Not before I kill you first. It's <laughs> my best job. You know what? What's nice and everything. Well, not well, you know, the movie's called Johnny Guitar. And not once did they ever mention Johnny Guitar. I said the titular character. Yeah. Oh, did you? I think yes. you said he shows up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Look. Sterling Hayden's there. He's playing his best Sterling Hayden. If you know who that is, obviously you do, you know, your longtime listeners. Um, his range is pretty Sterling Hayden. So <laughs> it goes about here and stays about there. But um, I'll go next here because I've seen this before. So this is, I'm thinking of like my favorite Westerns. And I only have about four or five, I would think. Mm -hmm. It's like this, Stagecoach, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, The 2010 True Grit. And that's probably it. And I'm talking like the Old West stuff, like the neo-Westerns and new stuff. That's a whole different topic. But anyway, I'll think on it. Like what else I like. That's what we got. So anyway, um, I do love, I love this film. This film is so damn good. And I don't even remember when I first watched it. I'm pretty sure it's a whole thanks to TCM situation um, that I first learned about this. That's a maybe. But I mean, even if I would have just discovered on my own, I probably still would have liked it. And I think because to me, it's one of those non-conventional Westerns where, I mean, you have Joan Crawford, who she's not playing a cowpoke or anything. There's no cattle rustling in this. She's literally a saloon owner who is like, y'all hate me, so I'm going to hate you. And then the whole town is like, well, let's get her, boys. And Mercedes McCambridge is like the leader of this posse and whatever. Oh, Oxbow Incident, speaking of posse. There you go. Mm. There's a one for you. Um, but, and it's so, I don't know. It just, it, there's something about it. And it's probably the whole Joan Crawford factor that I just fucking love it. Like, she's a strong, she's a strong bitch in this movie. All right, I'll give that to her. Um, 
and Ernest Borgnine is also in this. So every time I see him, I'm like, Mermaid Man. <laughs> Rest in peace, Ernest Borgnine. I know he did Marty and other great roles, but you know. But Mermaid for the, Man. For the kids out there, right? <laughs> but um, in, I'm going to say this now before I forget, because when I watched this, I have the Blu-ray of it that I got from um, the Half Price Bookstore. Didn't I give you a, a the Blu-ray for Christmas one year? Yeah, there it is. There it is. That's the same one. No, I have a different one. You have the fancier one than I do. But anyway, um, one of the special features is from Zay's favorite director, Scorsese, who like very much loves this film. And I just want to quote, this is what he said. He was like, I remember when I first saw it, I enjoyed it in the US. And this is the important part about this movie. In the US, people were expecting a Western, but it may seem like a Western and it may not so because it really didn't seem like the Western you would think of at the time, like a John Wayne situation, people ignored it. They laughed at it, whatever. It's a very, I mean, this is now me. It's a very uh, cult following type movie because not a whole lot of people have seen it that I personally know. I think literally you two, Toby, myself, and that's it. I mean, there obviously there's a bajillion people out there who have seen it. But this is one of those Westerns. If you don't like Westerns, you know, because that's such a genre we don't have anymore out there. Start with, I mean, shit, start with this one because it's fun. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's fun. It's action packed. The characters are great. I mean, I Joan fucking Crawford in this, you know, Tina, bring me the guitar. And with that, I, I, now you, let's see what you thought of it. Mr. Western. I, 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 I'm definitely the biggest fan of Westerns on this podcast. Um, and I loved it. It's oh, thank God. I, I don't know where it would rank on my list, but it, it, it's, it's probably top 10. Um, just thinking off the top of my head, it's, it's gotta be close, but, um, yeah, for all the reasons mentioned, I think it's just, like you said, I, I think the movie, what I really like about it is it's so much about different relationships all connected to Joan Crawford. Um, you obviously got her and Johnny Guitar. You've got her and the dancing kid and all the, the kind of love triangle going on there. You even got her and um, Turkey, played by Ben Cooper, who kind of sees her, I, I think, as kind of a maternal figure in some ways. But the most interesting relationship by far is between her and Mercedes McCambridge. Um, and I, there's just so much you can pull from that. I think like the way they they dress like Joan Crawford is in this these really colorful shirts with the pants with the six shooters and then you've got Mercedes McCambridge who is like very societal standard of old west um and so their dynamic is really fascinating and their showdown at the end really it really builds up to that really well um one of the things i like about or at least I find fascinating about Westerns are the protagonists and how they're kind of presented as these mythic heroes. I think sometimes they're just shot in a way that is like really cool. Um, I mean, the example I always think of, I know we're not a fan of John Wayne the person, but when he is introduced in stagecoach and it kind of comes in on him and he's, it's like, that's an amazing shot. I feel the same way when Joan Crawford comes around the corner and is staring down Mercedes McCambridge is like, I'm going to gun you down. That is a cool shot. It's like badass. 
And it just kind of encapsulates her image throughout the movie. I think she probably is it subversive is that she's going to establish herself as the boss. You're going to listen to me or you're out. And those that don't listen to her, bad things usually happen. Uh, they usually get killed. So um, I, I think that kind of power in the movie and it's just really cool. Um, and like Christian said, it's a really fun Western. It, it flies by aside from a film we're going to talk about here in a little bit. This is the one that I've wanted to rewatch the most, I think, from this year um, to see what else you, you pull out and um, just with how how great it looks. But last point underrated aspect i think is the production design of that saloon that saloon is cool you've got like the different rock structures behind it and it's like got that staircase there and very cool movie saloon if you're gonna make a list of movie saloons it's gotta be up at the top but (laughs) i know that's really random but that's a common theme in westerns and this is a really cool one so yeah i loved it it's great well we count blazing saddles as a western yes yeah yeah. Okay, boom, then that too. I forgot. See, yeah. thank you. Um, we also forgot my precious first cow. Thank you. I I love yeah. it. I know, I know we're quiet here. <laughs> uh anyway, um, also I was thinking like to uh, go off of what Brett was saying about the how the heroes presented. It's interesting to me that yeah, John Wayne, he played a lot of characters who are the heroes. He's kind of an asshole in a lot of ways too. I thought it was kind of like really like transgressive to have Joan Crawford play that because yeah. you're more likely to have a woman in that role to be far more unlikable. And I could definitely see that's why people were not ready for this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Right. It's also saying something that even though Johnny Guitar is the name of this movie, I don't give a shit about Johnny Guitar. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, Brett, did you say Jonathan Guitar? Yes, good old Jonathan Guitar. Did I? I think you did say Jonathan Guitar. Did you? That's I what I heard. I didn't think so, but we'll, we'll Ooh, see in editing. <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan Guitar. <laughs> God. Um, what was I gonna say? See, you messed me up. <laughs> Anyway, great set, beautiful set. But I also like the part where Joan Crawford is like, um, I want to hear that thing rolling. I like hearing the sound of it. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Oh, God. I just love her. She's great. Yeah, she's great in this. This is her month. Well, it looks like we went. Our theme for the night is the ladder. So it looks like we were all at the top of that ladder. And now we're going to go down to probably the middle of the ladder. (laughs) I, <laughs> every time we're with you say we always have themes of the night i don't know this metaphor is getting lost on me <laughs> all right well uh i have the next one my first film um and this is one uh it's journey to italy it's directed by roberto rossellini uh starring ingrid bergman it's actually the third film they made together um which is fascinating because they had an affair that led to a marriage and working together um, and, and a child. And so, yeah, interesting history behind there uh, that I'm sure you could deep dive into. But watch, be uh, sorry to interrupt. Watch uh, the uh, Ingrid Bergman Be Kind Rewind episode and it'll explain everything. Mm-hmm. It's on YouTube. There you go. Perfect. 
Um, but Journey to Italy is honestly not what I expected in a couple ways. I selected it because I always enjoy Italian movies. Um, and this one has been on my list for a long time because I've I've often seen it kind of recognized as the one of the big signals to the end of the Italian neorealism era, which is, I think, one of the most fascinating in cinema. Um, it's a story of a married couple, Alex and Catherine Joyce. They're played by Ingrid Bergman and George Sanders. They are from England, but they are visiting Italy. They're going to a villa near Naples that they've recently inherited from an uncle. Um, they're going to check it out. They're looking to maybe sell it. And at the same time, they're going to kind of explore Italy and kind of have a, a little mini getaway. Um, it's intended as a vacation, but it's not really all that joyful for them. Basically, they kind of go their own ways throughout this journey, this little vacation. And as a result of that, begin to discover that they don't really have a love for each other like they thought they did. They've kind of been going through this routine in England without stepping outside of it. Um, we know that Alex is, is kind of a workaholic. And so with them getting time to step back and think about things, they realize, I don't really know if I want to be with you. Um, so the whole film kind of feels like it's leading towards what will be their eventual separation. A lot of it is primarily Bergman going about the city and um, exploring things that maybe you wouldn't normally expect in the trip to Italy. Um, she goes to kind of this like volcan volcanic ground area near Vesuvius and she visits like these catacombs um, and kind of is just impacted by this experience um, and reflects on what she wants her life to be and whatnot. This one is a lot more understated, I would say, than I expected. It's it's not much of a, a talkie in a traditional sense. There's not a whole lot of dialogue between the two leads throughout the entire movie as if like something like the Before Trilogy or something like that. Um, a lot of times separately, a lot of quiet reflection. And I got to say, the film is short enough that it didn't feel exceedingly long to me, but I did have trouble getting into it at some points. Um, I think it... It looks looks good. It looks like something that Rossellini would direct, and it makes sense. I think Bergman is very good in the lead role. I mean, I was thinking, like, this is probably my fourth or fifth ranked performance from here, and it's astounding. Like, she's incredible. Um, but it just, it, it's like there's something missing to me. It's like there's an edge that it doesn't have that I think some earlier Italian films did. And maybe that's not fair to say, but it, it kind of got to me. And I also didn't entirely buy the ending. Um, felt a little bit sudden, um, a little bit rushed. And I just, I, I didn't really buy into it. And so I know I enjoyed the movie. I, I think it, it has some great qualities. It was not the great film that I was, going in expecting to see i guess so maybe my expectations got the better of me um as a person that does like quiet and reflective films i find it that a lot of times it's the context in which i consume them and this one i'm like i guess the context was off because i was like as objectively as i can say this film is like very 
beautiful. I like like her looking at all the sites and all that. It felt like a great brochure for Italy. Um, and of course, I'm 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 going to be excited to see Ingrid Bergman literally act the hell out of anything because she was the master. But at the end of the day, I was just like, it was nice. I got nothing out of it personally. It reminded me of, have you all seen Certified Copy? Because that's what it reminded me a lot of. I haven't. It came out 2010. I know of it, but I haven't yeah. seen it. I think it. I think that film definitely borrowed a lot from this in terms of themes and whatnot. That one's a little more talky, though. Um, yeah. Perhaps a film I will, another film I will revisit one day and get more out of. Maybe not. As I was also, because I'm like, I also really like Italian neorealism. This one was, I was like, that's a movie. Sometimes it makes me, when I see something like that, I'm like, am I too dumb for this? Am I not mature enough? I don't know. And it feels different from other i see i don't even know whether to classify it like neorealism or not just because like they're rich mm-hmm. and it I, I that comes with a different feeling than some of those others so that's true i always think of neorealism as the like post-war yeah about italians you know yeah yeah and they're not italian that's another point too yeah so. I know, because didn't I text you, like, is this movie in Italian? Because I kind of figured it was. Yeah. But then, like, seeing um, George Sanders also in this, mm-hmm. I was like, wait a second. So um, I'm pretty much on the same page as you both. It was fine. I did not get a whole bunch out of it. Um, I own both. I own all three of these films. The Rosalini Bergman trilogy here. Mm. I bought it at Criterion a few years ago. So this is nice to finally dive into it. There's a whole documentary on Bergman on this that I really want to see. But I mean, for the first film that I've seen in this trilogy, and I know the other two came before this, not the best stepping stone, I guess. Um, I mean, it's just an unhappy marriage situation, which I've seen many times before. I mean, hell, dial in for murder. <laughs> I mean, in your home. Oh, sorry. What? Sorry. That was a bad. Did you say? Did you just say my own home? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> oh. I wasn't sure what you said at first. I put it together. Oh. <laughs> Kiddo, that could be a mini series. <laughs> I know all that. That could be a damn mini series. <laughs> Okay, uh, but anyway, that was a good one. Uh, shit, there's a lot going on with that story. But anyway, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fine movie. There, yeah, I'll say it. That's a fine movie. I didn't get anything out of it. Like you both, Ingrid Bergman is great, and George Sanders, that man's voice. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think that's one about the voices from 1954. It was the year of the voice. <laughs> Between that, between Mr. Boyer, Mr. Milan, oh, Mr. Brando, uh, Mason. Mason, yeah. <laughs> Mason, there you go. I mean, the voice. Woo. That's yeah, I, it. I was also going in expecting it to be in Italian, which I guess there's an interesting history there. We're like, 
it was filmed in English and I think intended to be in English, but they dubbed it originally in Italian and it didn't go over well. So it's, it's mostly seen in English now, um, which I think works better because they are an English couple. So yeah, I, I think this is one, I don't know if maybe it's, to me, it just, it feels like I've heard this as a masterpiece. And I know that happens all the time where like you hear a film is great and doesn't really live up to your expectations. With this one, I just wonder if that's mostly because of influence rather than it being outright loved. Um, but I don't know. So it's interesting. No Oscar nominations. So they must have felt pretty similar to us. But any further thoughts on Journey to Italy? No, but uh, Zay's little mini series that we're going to create after this. <laughs> Catch us at the Emmys next year. Look out for that. <laughs> All right. Well, I also have our next film. Um, one that I was most excited about when we were talking about doing this year. It is our second Hitchcock movie, and it is, of course, Rear Window. So this is the story of LB Jeff Jeffries, who's played by Jimmy Stewart. Um, we find out that he is a kind of an on-the-site photographer who has broken his leg in an accident on the job. And so he's been sitting up in his apartment for months. He's bored in the hot summer sun. And out beyond his window is just one of the most amazing film sets ever put to film. Um, you basically see out into the windows and the balconies of all of his neighbors. And he basically spends his days just kind of watching in, in kind of a voyeuristic fashion because he doesn't really have anything else to do. Um, this becomes interesting when he believes that he has witnessed a murder across the way. Um, he didn't actually see it. He's kind of going off of intuition and little context clues along the ways, but he is convinced this has happened. And so he kind of becomes a little bit obsessed with watching this guy across the way, across the courtyard, looking for clues that he may have murdered his bedridden wife. Um, he pulls in his girlfriend, Lisa Fremont, who is played, of course, by Grace Kelly into it. Um, the nurse that tends to him during his injury, Stella, who's played by the great Thelma Ritter. She kind of gets involved as well. Um, his friend in the, the police detective, he kind of tries to convince him along the way. But that's how the, basically the film goes. But while this is going on, you see all these other things happening in this courtyard. There's a dancer. There is a woman who is just constantly lonely and trying to find a life partner. There's a musician trying to make it all these different people that kind of have their own things going on. And then the very middle of it is the place where this grisly crime may have occurred. Um, the whole thing is shot from inside Jimmy Stewart's apartment, um, nearly the whole thing. And so it's one of those Hitchcock movies that in some ways feels a little confined, but like we said, has that open world outside of it. Um, it's fantastic. It, it, it is personally my favorite Hitchcock movie. I'm sure we'll get into the many reasons why. Um, I honestly, I, it, it's a perfect movie. It, it's so good. The performances are great. Jimmy Stewart is, you know, 
near the top of his game. Um, Thelma Ritter is just this perfect, like humorous side character that comes in and out and just delivers. Uh, but really, I'll let Christian talk about the set more because I know Christian has some thoughts on that. But um, it's flawless. We'll get into it. There are a lot of themes here, voyeurism. Um, and I, I just think the idea of like, can you trust your neighbors in 1954? You know, the age of like burgeoning suburbia, post-World War II. Fascinating how this dives into that. And just to see the different things that go on in this courtyard is, it makes sense why Jeff is so entranced by this. Um, so yeah, I'm sure we'll go into this a lot more, but interested to hear y'all's thoughts first. I thought it's, well, Okay, so I, I said this when we like picked this up that I had seen this like just last, like at the end of last year. So I didn't feel the need to rewatch it, but um, I did read, I don't know if you knew, there's like a novel adaptation that I thought is really good. I'm sending the book cover to the group chat. Um, it's, it was, I thought it was like, it really went more in depth in ways that I didn't think it could. <laughs> You are a pervert. <laughs> you are a pervert. That's amazing. I love it. This by is the Lord's Day. By, by Dick Grayson. <laughs> Isn't that Robin from Batman? Yes. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Only two twenty-five a copy. Anywho. Um, yeah, I, I mean, of course, this is a movie I've seen countless times. So even if I hadn't just watched it, I probably still could just easily talk about it in a myriad of ways. As I first saw it back in high school, I've seen it many times since then. I had my one film class in college. It was one of the movies we covered. And yeah, I think it's also a perfect movie. And also, and even though it's kind of a boring answer, my favorite Hitchcock, but it's also easily one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, I don't, like, it's so much the point where I'm like, I don't know what else I can even add to the conversation about such a film, where I'm like, the cast is perfect, the other characters are all perfect, the setting, just how they made all that, perfect. I don't, it's just kind of a ubiquitous movie at this point, I do like that something from 1954 is something that most people can still see and understand a reference to that movie. Even if it was remade in 2007 starring Shia LaBeouf. It was also remade, hello, in 1996 starring Christopher Reeve. I was also thinking of that, oh, but yeah. I, Shia LaBeouf, Christopher Reeves, you know, you'd only bring <laughs> up one in conversation. Look, the Shia LaBeouf one, I enjoy, actually. I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. I remember liking it when it came out, but... Disturbia! Thank you, Rihanna. <laughs> Everyone, Rihanna. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Is it my turn? Yeah, I don't... I really have, like... I, I feel that. Like, what do you say? This is my favorite Hitchcock movie, plot twist, because a lot of people think it's psycho. I mean, they all have good qualities, but the fact that this, and Brett said we'll talk about it, the set is the most perfect set ever created for a film, ever. 
it's an apartment complex. It's a courtyard. It's multiple apartment complexes. It's the city street that you can see far away, but it's all filmed in a studio high up. And you never leave that apartment. You're literally looking into your courtyard and into these other windows, these rear windows. Like that is so fucking ingenious of Hitchcock. Okay. Like how brilliant is that? And also side note, I'm a rear window person myself. We have neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> we have neighbors across the way who don't have blinds <laughs> in their house. So every so often I take a gander to see what they're watching over there. Um, they have a dog. So the dog they leave is, out all the time. You, yes, actually, you think we joke, but I literally am looking out right now and you can see into their house. And then one time we had a flashing, we had a light on our back porch flashing because it was about to go out. The guy literally who I'm speaking about came to our house. He had a circle around, rang our doorbell and was like, is there a problem going on? And we're like, no. Get some fucking blinds. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's a perfect film. I mean, what more can there be said about it? Um, I actually took a Hitchcock class in college, and this is one of the films we watched, and it was one of the popular ones. I mean, they're all popular that we watched, but this is the super popular one because that whole aspect of it takes place in the single location and really the single location of the window, not the entire apartment. It's like right yeah. smack dab out of that window too, to see what the hell's going on across the way. And Raymond Burr as the guy that he sees across the way is also pretty good. Mm-hmm. We don't hear a whole lot from him, but his facial expressions of things and like his mannerisms, like, fuck, that's a, that's a silent movie in and of itself. Grace Kelly, love her in this. This is her best performance of 54. Mark it down. Thelma Ritter, fucking fantastic in this also. Okay, ensemble, let me see. Actually, because we don't go into ensemble. Um, Okay, it's not my personal ensemble winner, but it's nominated. (laughs) Because the ensemble of this is just so fucking great too. All right? The production, the directing, the acting, the writing, everything about this is a perfect film. So that's all I have. Because what more is there to say? I did think of one interesting thing I remember reading about on this film. And it was like, I, I wish I could credit this person. I'm sure they they know what I, that person's listening right now. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. They're talking about me. Um, but they like basically how Rear Window, it's kind of a metaphor for filmmaking and how film, watching a film is voyeuristic. And it makes sense because that mm-hmm. window is basically a movie screen. And he's just like watching his own personal movie that all of his neighbors are starring in. And making the argue that if he wasn't watching, would something be happening? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just a really cool like way to dissect the film. And I kind of think about that whenever I watch a lot of films now. And I, I don't know. I just think it's neat. Kind of similar how like dial in for er- dial in for murder was like very plot detail oriented. This one is very like imagery detail oriented. Um, I I think I said in my review like if I were a film professor and was doing an intro to film class, this might be the first movie I'd show someone just because I think like it tells you everything you need to know with the visuals and like even the the beginning shot. We come in, we see all of 
uh, Jeffrey's like photos and we see the one with the negatives and we're like, okay, so he's the photographer. He's been in an accident. He's stuck. Like we know basically everything we need to know to introduce this character in one like little panning shot. Um, I don't know that just the whole production of this movie is so fascinating to me like that Hitchcock only directed from inside the apartment, like never went outside of it. He was kind of there alongside Jimmy Stewart. And I don't know, it just brings another dimension to it. I was watching a documentary on this, on the Blu-ray copy I have. And um, they were talking about how he would use like um, earpieces and, and talk to the actors across the way that way. And like the scene where the couple wakes up in the rain and they have the mattress, he like secretly told one to go one way and the other to go the other way. And so that whole like fight is, is like genuine. Um, and you know, Hitchcock, obviously he, he had his issues for sure, but it's just the work of a master on full display here. Um, some of the best direction ever, honestly. So you could like teach a creative writing course with this film too. And like, you could pick a different character in the courtyard and say like, okay, mm-hmm. so why is lonely hearts over here actually lonely? Like what drove her to this? What drove this marriage across the way for all of this shit to happen? You yeah. know? Um, and also the introduction to Grace Kelly in this. So her turning on the lights, her outfits in this. Woo. Beautiful. Miss yeah. Edith Head. Edith Head. Mm-hmm. And also, oh, oh my gosh, there's a lot of also's in this. But also the fact that her and Thelma Ritter are both like, hey, let's go across the way and actually see what's happening. And Jimmy Stewart is all like, no, we don't need to go. And they're like, shut the fuck up. Okay, (laughs) you're in a chair. What are you going to do? You're going to stop me? And then Grace goes off and does her thing. There's an interesting moment where she comes back and she's like done it. And you see that look on Jimmy Stewart's face like, fuck yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Like, I'm just really pleased that they <laughs> He's got. like, I've been erect for the first time in months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad they got Thelma Ritter working this because she was just the, the, like, the insurance therapist or whatever. And now she's in this whole near murder case. <laughs> I love Thelma Ritter. I think she's one of the best character actors we ever done had. Agreed. So good. You could go on about it, but like I like Zay said, I what else can you say about it? It's amazing. Um it's on Peacock. If any of you have Peacock, mm-hmm. there might be a commercial because Peacock is so weird because sometimes they have commercials, sometimes they don't. But it's on there. Definitely watch it. Definitely. This one did get a little bit of love from the Academy. It got four Oscar noms um, for director, the screenplay, the cinematography, color, and sound recording. Sound is really interesting too, because uh, it's all like the big thing about this movie is it's all diegetic and even the music and uh, it, it's just so good. So, but no production design or art yeah, direction was called. That's absurd. Yeah, and this is one of those cases too where it's like, well, they nominated him for director. Why not just go the one extra step? Yeah, right. Exactly. All right. Any final thoughts on Rear Window? If you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Very true. If you haven't seen it, come over to my living room. 
All right. Well, this is I, I'm glad as great as Rear Window is, I'm glad we're ending on this next film. Because I feel like this is a moment this podcast has just been been waiting for. for this Christian is to why talk the about podcast this. was made. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Christian, take it away. Well, ladies and gentlemen, without further introduction, to introduce our next film, the Academy Award nominated star of our film, Mr. James Mason. Clap, please. Yes, hello. Yes, hello. Yes, yes. It is I, James Mason. I know you've all been waiting for this. This is unfortunately my last performance here on the Gilded Films. When the devil is a podcast? I'm from the 1950s. I've never heard of one of these podcasts before. Anyway, the film is A Star is Born. Fun fact, I didn't really like this film. I was in this film but I didn't care for it myself. So instead of straining my voice, I'm going to send it off to Christian. Thank you all for having me on here. I assume my check is in the mail. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you, James Mason. No claps from the audience. Um, Fun fact. I was looking up James Mason on Wikipedia. Apparently there's also a neo-Nazi who's famous named James Mason. So, wow that's what pops up <laughs> when a you dark type in james mason anyway <laughs> james mason had a run okay i was and not warned this is his last appearance just 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 so you all know so well he might be back if we ever talk about another james mason movie okay he's, <laughs> okay. he's dead but i can conjure him up at any time we, we're good we have we got each other's numbers north by northwest it's happening there we go so he'll be back for that. Heaven Can Wait is a good movie, too. So he'll be back for that. <laughs> Ooh, whenever we do the verdict, he'll be back for that. Yes. James Mason, you're in a lot of movies. <laughs> As his family somehow finds us and they're like, they need to pay us. <laughs> anyway, yes, this is the one that literally, I think this whole fucking season is built up to. I swear to God it has. It is A Star is Born from 1954, starring, as we saw, James Mason, but also starring the one, the only, the talent herself, Judy Garland. If you don't know what this is about, you're living under a rock, I guess, whatever. But this is the second adaptation of this story. We'll say one and a half because there's another one whatever brett and i actually might talk about it later on but in this case it is about esther bloggett played by judy garland she is an aspiring singer an aspiring actress who is in hollywood she is uh, of course down on her luck she's a back what is a back a character background character person let's just say right she's nothing she's a nobody in though to her life walks norman Maine, who is as i i'm seeing here is described a madnate idol but his career is on the downside because he's just had a lot of public issues. He likes the drink a lot. He just makes a fool of himself at any chance he gets. So he himself is also down on his luck. But when they come together and when they meet, it's sort of an immediate attraction to one another. It's an immediate, you help me, I can help you. I can get you in the business, girl. Tell me something, girl. You know, Are you happy in this modern world? Okay, or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? Okay. 
This is again in the 1950s. So y'all like, ain't paying enough money for to do to do to do all that. What? Like they're gonna they're you're gonna get a lawsuit. That's too much. But I'm not singing it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a anyway, difference. Anyway, uh, in part thanks to him, uh, Norman Maine, Esther becomes a little bit a little bit at this point of a star. At the studio, though, they change her name to Vicky Lester because back then during the studio system, she had to have a name that's a little bit more appealing to audiences. And slowly with that name change, slowly with some other good fortune that comes her way and just seeing her sheer talent in the business, she becomes that star. That star is born. She has a really good big moment um, near the end. I think it is at the end of the first act where um, a movie that she is in sort of sends and catapults her to stardom, to that good stardom. And then eventually, you know, she gets the Oscar nomination, subsequent win and all this. But at the same time, and again, if you know this story, you know, it's the same thing or whatever. At the same time, the marriage here is at totally different levels because while she's becoming something, Norman is becoming a nothing. And again, that's just because of all his personal struggles in his life. Um, but they have to overcome that. She doesn't want to leave him. She wants to help him, but she's angry and upset and hurt that this keeps causing such a ruckus and a tumultuous marriage through all of this um this is also a musical i wouldn't say it's so much like a musical like we're going to start singing and dancing and it's more like here's some songs incorporated into all of this it's a judy garland vehicle as well so i mean the woman has to sing um in fact her introduction song with him is the man who got away which oh it's so good it's beautiful it's whatever the whole thing um but anyway the relationship just between now Vicky and Norman is like I said tumultuous and it's just like well where do we go here how much more help can Norman actually get from her how much more help can he give to himself before things just get totally out of hand and if you know this story you know that it ends in heartbreak so I won't tell you how this one ends because all the different versions of this story are different in uh, Norman's final outcome and um, Vicky's final outcome in this but um, in the grand scheme of things, I will say for myself personally, this is the superior of them all of the films. And it's such on a, oh, and this is directed by George Cukor also. Great director there. This is so epic in scope and looking at it from the lens of Judy Garland herself, who at this time was not seen much as she was in her previous years as like, you know, the big star ingenue. She had some of her own personal demons, her own personal battles. She works so well in this film to really address those inner, I don't know, inner struggles that she has. There's a great scene in the dressing room where she literally, she breaks down, she really gives it her all. The entire man in the trunk sequence is her life story told in a 10 minute musical segment. And it's so well done. She's not playing Esther or Vicky or whatever. She's playing Judy. This is like Judy as a fictionalized version of herself. If she were younger, it'd be probably that whole, like the Lady Gaga feeling where it's like the young ingenue. But even having her at the age that she is at this point, I think she's in her forties. It feels so like this is some, this is Judy Garland back she hadn't made a film since like 1950 i guess this is judy garland back my god we really sat on her for these couple of years the studio sat on here sat on her for all her troubles 
but we can believe in her again because she's just so fucking great in this. And James Mason is so fucking great in this. Um, but that's it. That's all I have. As you could tell, I really like this. I love this. Whatever. I know you both hated it, but so. Wow. That's, that's a hated on a four star review for Zay there. Wow. Yeah. But this is also very long. This is the longest of them. I think the one that I saw was 176 minutes. It's the one that's on HBO. But there's also like the 182 minutes, 154 minutes. Some of it is like just pictures because they lost the footage of it. I don't know. That's how I first saw it too. So it just, it's literally what it is. But yes, this is A Star is Born. I'm very passionate about this. I love anything Judy Garland does. I mean, she is like amazing. And also this is the 100th anniversary of her birth this year. Mm. Born in 1922. So that's it. This is everything that the podcast is up to. We're glad you listen. Don't forget to review, rate, subscribe. You can find us on Apple, iTunes. Thank you to Joshua Arnaldi for the music. We've had fun these past couple of years. That's it, folks. Good night. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I didn't know Josh Gad was coming back. <laughs> I'm off the deep end, watches a diamond, and welcome back to Gilded Films Podcast. Now we're getting sued. <laughs> oh, oh wait, I have to do this. Cover. I have to do this. Here we go. You ready? Love tender and evergreen, <laughs> seldom seen now, by if anyone. Is going to sue us? It's Babs. Yeah. <laughs> Like a rose <laughs> under the A. Um, this is my third time watching this, I believe. Um, yeah, and I think the only way I've ever watched it was where, like, it just inserts those pictures, which it's like a mix of sadness that we lost that footage, and also just like it really ruins the like the watching experience because it just doesn't it it's. It's just very like disjointed for me, um, but I mean I can't fault the movie for that. It's just history, um, but I do love this movie uh, mostly for Judy's performance. I think she gives one of the greatest performances ever set to Celluloid, um, and we're fortunate to be able to still be able to witness it. Um, I think it's like oh, I think it's so weird that this movie has just been remade so many times because I'm like and not only that it's like this specific story but like also like there's so many other movies out there where you're like yeah this is basically just a star is born and a similar setup and whatnot but I guess it's just you know Hollywood's a pretty bad place ain't it kids anyway we'll never learn our lesson um and I do think this is also my favorite out of all the adaptations. I guess I'm not allowed to talk about the other one. Because Christian said only him and Brett can talk about it, but not me. Which, the, which one? I guess you're referring to What Price Hollywood? Oh, well, we may talk about it in an upcoming episode. But go ahead, please. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. No, no, no spoilers for me. I get it. You can gatekeep me from certain movies. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, I wouldn't want to talk about that very mediocre film anyway. 
okay. It's not my choice. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is a great movie. Great music, great musical numbers. It has all of the great beats that you would want from this. And I guess in that sense, to see that those beats work really well in any context you make it. Um, so yeah, this is a great film. I don't think I can say anything that Christian did not say in numerous, but yeah. Now to um, Brad, who did hate it. So... You, I, I bet you like the Barber version, don't you? No, not the ne- Barber version. Never seen it. Never seen it. I've seen <laughs> I've seen this version and I've seen 2018 and that's it. Um no. I, I I watched them both the year the 2018 one came out, and I think I just hit a point where I was like, I I'm gonna get burnt out on this story if I watch them all right now. Uh there's just only so much remake I can handle at once. So the Barber one is so bad. You have to see it. I'll, I'll, I'll see them all eventually. Um, probably when we talk about those years, uh, well, for sure the the 37 version, but um, I think Judy Garland is phenomenal. I agree. It's one of the best performances in film history. So good. In fact, that she is the reason to watch this movie. Um, I think the movie around her is average at best. Um, I, I think she's phenomenal and she's like I said, she's the reason to watch. Um, anytime she's on screen, she lights it up. Luckily that's a lot. Um, I think, I, I think this is the, where they allowed her to go beyond sing and dance, which we know by this point, she's great at. And show that she can really deliver like strong emotional depth too. Um, and so, you know, the scene dancing scenes are phenomenal, but when she really is allowed to like settle and, and like you said, the, the scene in the dressing room, things like that, that's really great. One of my favorite scenes of this movie is actually one of the, for a time, happier ones where they're like, he's like made her the sandwich and they're like sitting down to eat, but they get, they keep getting swept up in each other. I think part of my issue with the movie is I needed more moments like that. I, I felt like the relationship itself was built a lot around Norman Maine helped her out. They fell in love. What else is there to it? Um, aside from that one scene. And so Honestly, I, I'm not going to relentlessly compare the two, but if this had a scene like the one in the 2018 where she actually visits him in the hospital, so much better. You know, just moments like that, it needed more of. And I don't know. I just, by the time we get to the end, it, it's so obsessed in the end with like letting us know how great Norman Maine really was. And I still don't know why. Um, I don't know why Norman Maine was great. Um, James Mason's really good in it. I really like James Mason in it. Um, but yeah, I'm going to say it, Christian. I guarantee you knew I was going to say it. It's too damn long. Um, it For all that three hours, they couldn't give us more development of those things that I, I brought up with the relationship and with that character. But fortunately, I like the movie. Because Judy Garland is excellent. You can't watch the movie and watch Judy Garland throughout most of it 
and not enjoy what you're seeing. Um, I just think, especially the script around her could have been a lot better. In fact, maybe that's even more of a, a, a praise towards her that she does so well that with the script that could have been a lot better and tighter. Also, quick point, uh, just because the, the version I watched was also the one with like the still images. I don't fault the film for it, except for one thing. They do this Zoom thing on every single one of them. And it's like I'm watching some doc on a serial killer. And like they're like <laughs> zooming in and like letting us know this is a serial killer, blah, blah, blah. Like, just show us the images. I mean, come on. But that's a mild complaint. I think a follow-up point um, I saw, I was like looking at my review of one of them. And I was, I, yeah, and I did think about it. I don't, the one main complaint I have with all of these adaptations of this story is I don't, I wish they would all show that that it's it's always the ending for me where mm -hmm. especially i guess spoilers 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 um skip ahead two minutes um and it's always where like she's like i'm mrs norman Maine, and i'm just like i get that he's dead now but it always feels like all the terrible things about this relationship are kind of just like swept under the rug because he got his comeuppance. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. I, and every single one, I'm just like, he's kind of a shitty person and it never feels like that's fleshed out enough for me, especially in the accounts of me trying to figure out why this is a movie everyone wants to remake but never wants to solve that particular issue okay fair point this just in in the time it took for you to hurt me both <laughs> i've created the um i will be leaving the podcast and i will be now making the uh jilted film podcast <laughs> Which we will cover the, see if the Best Picture nominees got it wrong, right? What do we do? Got it wrong. Got it wrong. Either way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you both just like, you were like, this is going to stab Christian so many times. Sounds, sounds like you're off on the deep end. <laughs> we're going to watch as you dive in. I'm tender and evergreen, seldom seen <laughs> by two. You and I, I make each night a first, every day a beginning. Spirits rise and then fall unrehearsed. That was music to my eyes. Thank you. Easily the worst song off of that 2018 one. Oh, shit. Your music to my eyes. Every time I hear that, every time I hear that, I'm like, I can only see the fucking raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> oh, God. Because he sounds so much like him when he sings that song. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, um, this is a great film. So, you know, it's on HBO. It was nominated for six Oscars. I'm just going to go there. It was nominated for six, including actress. Actor. 
art direction, costume design, and original song for The Man That Got Away. Should have won. Sorry, Three Coins in a Fountain. Do I know the lyrics to you? No. Three and- coins in a fountain. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and score as well. Um, another thing about this is this has like, if you look up in Hollywood history, this had a huge ass premiere to it. Mm-hmm. Like you can look up the pictures of, I think it was like the Copacabana, but like Bogart and stuff. And there's actual footage. This was like a huge, this is a huge deal. I also think that if Liza, hey baby, would have gotten the rights to this before Barbara did, that would have been something to see her remake mm-hmm. her mother's movie. That would have been like a touching moment, you know? But instead, we had Barbara being so into herself. No offense. Love her. Movie's awful. But, yeah. You, I will say, to your point about the big Hollywood premiere, that is one thing I did like about the movie, was, like, the Hollywood premiere, like, how that's all set up, and the Oscars in this movie. Oh, yeah. Interesting to see the Oscars portrayed, um, with this being, like, a year after they'd first been televised. Um, yeah, that's an interesting scene. And Judy gets to hold one. <laughs> I mean, she technically got to hold one. But she didn't get to keep one. She got to keep the, 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 the little little miss Oscar. Emphasis on little. <laughs> <laughs> she got to keep the child she gave birth to that night. So Ugh, fuck Joey Love. <laughs> <laughs> also, if anybody's interested, you should definitely watch um the miniseries called Through My Eyes. No something something the judy garland story with judy davis because it has mm. the reenactment of oscar night and it's so disappointing <laughs> it's oh. hurting so much we all agree judy should have won fantastic in this Ugh. and no like Groucho marx was like this is the biggest mm. robbery since brink since like uh <laughs> and then look at that years later liza she caused Grace Kelly to have a stroke and something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't in the car. God. Oh, God. All right. Christian, anything you'd like to get off your chest um, regarding Grace Kelly or anything else before we go on to our, our next segment? She, it occurred to me, I've only seen four of the movies. No, five movies she's ever been in. <laughs> but I I actually you know what I wonder where is her Oscar at like is it still in mm. Morocco because I've never actually Morocco, that. Mor- Morocco. Morocco. is it where is she princess of princess Monaco. of Monaco, Monaco. look <laughs> look the country is from one side of my living room to the other side you think I remember the name of it? okay the woman died all right <laughs> But where's her Oscar? Like in the heart of hearts, Family Guy. I mean, they semi did it, but like me, no, no, it wasn't Family Guy. It was a post on Tumblr years ago where it was like when Grace Kelly flew off that cliff, Liza was first there to pick up that Oscar and Monica. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. And saying, Mama, we did it. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh. Hollywood Tumblr was a different beast. It was. God, I miss it. But that's it. Where's the Oscar? That's what I want to know. 
Oh, it's not right. like I hate. It's not like I hate the woman. I just against this performance. What the fuck? That's you did. It. You did give her a lot of praise for Rear Window. So yes, I mean she's yeah, she's really great in that. Yeah, we'll see if she makes the list. Yes, absolutely. So are we ready for our honorable slash dishonorable mentions? Yes. All right. So first one up here. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Also starring James Mason. <laughs> it's it's an actually, you know what? It's a decent movie. It's it's a big budget Disney movie. So. All right. Next we have Brigadoon. Um, many people think that the money should have gone into this one instead of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Both MGM musicals. This is a Vincent Minnelli one, mm-hmm. and I guess I read that Vincent Minnelli was so like adamant and Gene Kelly because you know on filming in Scotland that when they didn't, it fucked up Minnelli's mind, so it wasn't a success. While Stanley Donnan with Seven Brides and Seven Brothers was like, "Hey, we can't film on location. Who cares? Let's do this." And look where that got that movie. Interesting. It's very forgettable. As much as I like Vincent Minnelli's movies, it's. It's not in the top. All right. Next, we have another the, musical. The next, the next movie that you're going to say, I'm actually surprised none of us picked it because I didn't realize all three of us would end up watching it. I thought about it. Um, it's Carmen Jones. It's um, a musical with an all-black cast. Um, Dorothy Dandridge, Harry Belafonte. Uh, Pearl Bailey is, like, really good in this. Um I, I like the performances, but I, I think it's a pretty average movie, honestly. It's meh. I think I liked it more this time. I don't know. I got more into like the dramatics of it all. And I like I like what they do with the music. I, I it, it's got some catchy tunes. Yeah. Um, next we have Creature from the Black Lagoon, which I really enjoyed. It's classic. It's great. Yeah. Especially that costume. Uh, next we have the Glenn Miller story. This I watched this um, thinking it was just going to be like a run of the mill biopic from the 50s. Jimmy Stewart is in it. It is really great. Um, What's there's I mean, when you listen to oh, The Shining, the end music from The Shining. I don't know if you can get into your head. That's Glenn Miller's piece that he did. And he um, mysteriously vanished slash died during uh, World War Two. But this is a Jimmy Stewart like he wanted to make this movie his like whole career so it was a really good though so i don't remember a lot of it i watched it in middle school very nice uh next we have godzilla the original godzilla which i watched for the first time and thought was pretty stunning very good yeah perfect movie honestly i wanted to pick it but i was like i don't know there's so many good movies this year It's another one I thought about, too. Uh, Next, we have Hobson's Choice. It's a film with Charles Lawton. It's very British. So uh, he's like a drunk who he wants to keep his daughters not married. But they're like, no, take it or leave it. I'm going to get married. And in saying take it or leave it, that's a Hobson's Choice. You're given a choice with no other like thing. It's you take it or you leave it. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, next, we have Lestrada, which is actually we covered this movie. 
We did. It was eligible for 1956. Uh, those came out in Italy this year. So check out that episode. Uh, next, we have the long, long trailer. It's so cute. Another Vincent Minnelli. Very nice. With um, Lucy and Desi. Oh, yeah. Don't literally, if you watch any of their movies, they made three together. This is the only one you need to see. The first one is terrible. The third one is like them going through a divorce, which in real life, they were going through a divorce at the same time. So it's very depressing. This is happy. Yeah, that's fine. It, it, it feels like they didn't really know what to do with feature length, but mm. it's, it's good. It's good popcorn fluff. Perfect. The part in the, the trailer where she's trying to cook is hilarious, though. Okay, but can you name another part? Marjorie Maine is in it. Oh. <laughs> That's always a factor. Uh, next, we have Magnificent Obsession. Oh, perfect. Good movie. Great with the capital G. It's okay. so... I watched it like an hour before we did record it here. It's so fucking good. Oh, and thank you. Thank you, Zay, because you got the, the Blu-ray for me for Christmas that one year. Mm-hmm. One of Douglas Sirk's masterpieces in my opinion. Oh. And like, look at this nice. case. Look at this case. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, next, we have Sabrina, Audrey Hepburn, Humphrey Bogart, William Holden. Talk about your age gap movie. Yeah, that's Sabrina. Weird. Yeah, <laughs> she, she's good in it. They're good in it, but they're terribly miscast against her. That's yeah. true. I do like the movie, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Salt of the Earth, uh, which is really interesting. It, it was made by like blacklisted filmmakers, um, and most of the cast were actual um, minors, um, mostly uh, Mexican American cast. Um, it kind of provides a, a feminist perspective which is pretty cool. So very much worth checking out. Uh, next we have Sancho, Sancho the Bailiff. Um, it's from Japan. I, I sadly don't remember it, but I do remember that when I watched it for the first time, I really, really loved it. Nice. Uh, next we have Seven Samurai which I think was eligible in like 1957. So the rest of the world time to catch up or else I definitely would have picked it. Right. I've seen it. It's long. You know what? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's good. I don't remember it. You can watch a bug's life in like 90 minutes. It's just a plot. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Well, speaking of the same plot, uh, our next one is silver load, a Western from this year, which is basically a remake of high noon uh, two years after the fact. Uh, but surprisingly, I, I enjoyed it still. The Just fact differences. The fact there was no sexual joke when you said silver load. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, next we have them exclamation point creature I'm feature. So, I'm so mad you didn't watch it when I said, "Do you have TCM?" I don't know. You should record this. Uh, I did watch it. Um, Did you really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, Bessie. <laughs> I don't think it's logged on Letterboxd yet. So okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah. but I did watch it. It's so it's my fun. biopic. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so far, we have wow. Zay the miniseries. <laughs> Zay presents 
family the miniseries. <laughs> but honestly, it's so it's like one of my favorite creature features of the 50s with the atomic age and everything. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's quite good. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, next we have There's No Business Like Show Business. That's Ethel Merman for you, baby. She's in it. It's, it's good. It's very good. I, I liked it. Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe is in it. Yeah. One of two movies she did this year. She also did uh, the, the something about a river. The river runs through it? Nope. River of No Return? <laughs> river of No Return. If that, I would have known that, I would have watched it. Yeah, that movie mm. did not age well. Next, we have The Vanishing Prairie. This is a Disney documentary because they used to do documentaries back in the day where they talked about things like this. Um, I'm not sure if it's this one and it one documentary feature. I'm not sure if it's this one or another one, but Disney created the myth that um, there's a little rodent that it's like if one jumps off a cliff, they all follow. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, but I don't know if it's this one or another, di- but it is a Disney documentary where they created that myth. So, oh. yeah. Wow. Uh, next, we have White Christmas, Bing Crosby Christmas movie. I really like it. Uh, I think Toby really likes it. Tap dancing with Danny fucking Gay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, next, we have Witness to Murder. Um, this is actually Rear Window. But Barbara Stanwyck is able to leave her apartment when she thinks that George Sanders across the way has committed a murder. And it was like on TCM one night last year. Happened to watch it. Fantastic. Oh, one of those like underrated gem movies. If you if I ever see it on there again, I'm telling you to record it now that you know you have that capability. Yes. All right, well, next we have some shorts. Uh, first one here, Bewitched Bunny. I just awesome. feel like I just feel like three of these on here. Zay watched a bajillion, so it's it's what was easy. I mean, we've got this is a good year for animated shorts because mm. we got Captain Hairblower with bugs and Yosemite Sam. We got Devil May Hair, the first appearance of Tasmanian Devil. Mm-hmm. Bugs and Thugs, one of my favorites. Uh, Bewitched Bunny, Gone Batty. Uh, Quack Shot, Baby Buggy Bunny, Satan's Waiting, Claws for Alarm, She's <coughs> a Hoy, Dog Pounded. That's just the Looney Tunes, because then we also got Popeye in Fright mm-hmm. to the Finish. That's really good. And we got uh, Droopy and Dragon and Droopy and Homesteader Droopy. That's it. That, those are the highlights. No Tom and Jerry? Awesome. I'm not a Tom and Jerry person. I'm sorry. Oh, I know that. I just uh. all right well those are our honorable slash dishonorable mentions are we ready to go on to our personal awards for the wait show? i have a dishonorable mention they're in a looney oh. tune where a mouse tries to give us the lies of capitalism it's oh not good <laughs> i forget what it's called it's not on my list because it's bad didn't wow. you watch to like the mad magician or something no, I wanted to. Didn't you watch a Vincent Price movie? I thought you did. Oh, I did. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> the lies. That's, that's, that says a lot. <laughs> this says a lot about what the hell my last couple of weeks have been. 
yeah, the Mad Magician with Vincent Price. It was good. I I didn't. It was just like in the middle for me. I mean, Vincent Price. I'm not gonna be mad about seeing Vincent Price. It was like his movie after House of Wax. I forgot one movie. It's called It Should Happen to You with Judy Holiday and Jack Lemmon, where she's down on her luck and she buys a billboard in New York City and she just puts her name on it. That's it. Just Gladys Glover and she becomes an overnight star. And it's Judy Holiday. You love the woman. Very nice. All right. So let's go ahead and get into our personal awards. We'll start with Best Adapted Screenplay. Christian? Yeah. You got it. Okay. Number five, I have Johnny Guitar. And number four, I have Magnificent Obsession. Number three, I have On the Waterfront. Number two, I have The Kane Mutiny. And my winner for Adapted Screenplay is Rear Window. Hold on. On the Waterfront. <laughs> the winner for Best Original Screenplay. I went because it's based on or inspired. Yeah, it's, 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 it's suggested. suggested by. <laughs> I actually, I, put, I actually wondered if somebody would do this. So yeah, I put I, on I, the waterfront in my original as well. Hmm. <laughs> I just let me move some, let me move some things. <laughs> let me move some things around. Okay. <laughs> Come back to me. Okay. Well, then I'll go. Perfect. My adapt- the adapted was like heavy. So um, number five, A Star is Born. Number four, Magnificent Obsession. Number three, Dial in for Murder. Two, Johnny Guitar. One, Rear Window. All right. So my number five, sorry, Christian, I have The Country Girl. Number four, I have Johnny Guitar. Number three, I have The Earrings of Madame Day. Number two, dial in for murder. And number one, rear window. Okay, now my number five. My number five is now Star is Born. Hey. And then Johnny Guitar, Magnificent Obsession, The Kane Mutiny, and my winner is Rear Window. Okay. All right. What was the winner? Because I wasn't listening. Rear Window. We all three went with Rear Window. Okay. So now original. Yeah, Here go for go. it. Now my original, number five. God damn it. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm so mad. Hold on one second. God, okay, don't start with me ever again. <laughs> I messed okay. up. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. At least you did not have an entire category wrong like I did in 1943. So. Okay, because I had Sabrina in there, but I realized at the last second, Sabrina, it's a Sabrina fair. Okay, here we go. Original screen, number five, It Should Happen to You, the Judy Holiday movie that we're just talking about. Number five. Number four, The Glenn Miller Story. It is original. Number three, Witness to Murder. Number two, On the Waterfront. Okay. And number one, Godzilla. Oh. Not based on Godzilla by Jane Austen, but a different <laughs> story. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I had trouble with my original screenplay because I guess I didn't see enough with original screenplay, but this is how I went. Um, number five, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Number four, White Christmas. Number three, Bugs and Thugs, my favorite Looney Tune from <laughs> this year. Uh, two, Godzilla, and number one, On the Waterfront. Uh, mine is almost the exact same as Zay's. 
Uh, number five, no, almost. I would say uh, you put bugs and thugs on your list. <laughs> number five, I had Creature from the Black Lagoon. Number four, White Christmas. Number three, I swapped out bugs and thugs for Salt of the Earth. Makes sense. Uh, number two, Godzilla. And number one, On the Waterfront. That is kind of scary, though, that yeah. it's that close. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go. Had I seen to... Salt of the Earth, maybe that's what it'll put. But... True. Let's go on to best supporting performance. Okay. Now I made sure these are all humans. <laughs> these are all living things. They don't, they don't have to be, you know. I mean, I'm pretty true. sure most of them are dead. Let me rephrase this. These are all living individual items. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One of them is still alive, you bastard. <laughs> I said most. Knock on wood. <laughs> Okay, number 10, Marilyn Monroe for There's No Business Like Show Business. Number nine, Pearl Bailey for Carmen Jones. Number eight, Edmund Gwynn for Them. Number seven, Mercedes McCambridge for Johnny Guitar. Number six, Thelma Ritter for Rear Window. Number five, Jose Ferrer for The K-Mutiny. Number four, Lee J. Cobb for On the Waterfront. Number three, Carl Malden for On the Waterfront. Number two, Eva Marie Saint for On the Waterfront. And my winner, because I'm going to put this person where I damn well please, is Humphrey Bogart for The K-Mutiny. Well... I broke Christian's rule about being a living individual because my number 10 is the titular character of Godzilla. Godzilla. Oh. Oh. Should I, could I have done the actor in the suit? Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, no. It's, it's an entire mechanism. Didn't you nominate Rin Tin Tin? Sure did. I, I heard... had the, I had the dog from Umberto, Umberto D. D win. One of the best. <laughs> and yet, ever. every time we have a guest who nominates something weird, we always refer back to that one time Zay nominated Rin Tin, <laughs> and he deserved it. And Miss Piggy, I oh, nominated Miss. No, yeah, we we go back to you nominating Miss <laughs> Piggy. Anyway, number nine, uh, Marilyn Monroe, and there's no business like show business. Oh, what is this? Number eight, we have a tie uh, for Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen in White Christmas. Oh, okay. Um, number seven, Carl Malden in the water, on the waterfront. Six, Humphrey Bogart and the Kane Mutiny. Five, Mercedes McCambridge and Johnny Guitar. Four, Jose Ferrar in the Kane Mutiny. Three, Pearl Bailey and Carmen Jones. Two, Eve Marie Saint on the waterfront. And number one, I gave it to Thelma Ritter in the rear window. Oh, okay. I kind of thought Christian was going that direction too, honestly. So I was surprised when she was number six, but um, all right. Number 10, I have Pearl Bailey for Carmen Jones. Number nine, Henrietta Williams for Salt of the Earth. Number eight, John Williams for Dial M for Murder. Number seven, Vittorio De Sica for The Earrings of Madame Day. Number six, Jose Ferrer for The Cane Mutiny. Number five, Mercedes McCambridge for Johnny Guitar. Number four, Lee J. Cobb for On the Waterfront. Number three, Thelma Ritter for Rear Window. Number two, Carl Malden for On the Waterfront. And number one, Eva Marie Saint for On the Waterfront. Difference, difference, difference. Yeah. All right. 
<clears throat> at number 10 for actor lead or lead performance how yeah lead performance uh number 10 i got good old joan crawford for johnny guitar number nine ray milan for dial in for murder number eight james stewart for the glenn miller story number seven being crosby for the country girl number six jane wyman for magnificent obsession number five james stewart for rear window Number four, Marlon Brando. Ooh, for On the Waterfront. Number number three, Rock Hudson for Magnificent Obsession. Number two, James Mason for All Star is Born. And my number one is The Ant from Them. Which one? The one that's named Judy Garland in <laughs> Star is Born. You totally, you like... totally put James Mason there as I was giving my A Star is Born spiel. Like I, I'm guaranteed. I did guarantee. I, yeah, I did not. No, because go look at my personal best actor winners list on Letterbox, and you'll see it was updated a few days ago. I'll believe you. Sort by when last updated, and you will see. <laughs> Um, so I think we're all gonna have different. I don't know. I had I was struggling because I was like, there's so many good lead actor performances this year. So I'm just going with my heart. Uh, number ten, Danielle Duro for the earrings and Madame De. Uh, nine, Harry Belafonte for Carmen Jones. Eight, Rod Rock Hudson for Magnificent Obsession. Seven, James Stewart for Rear Window. Six, Jane Wyman for Magnificent Obsession. Five, Dorothy Dandridge for Carmen Jones. Number four, Grace Kelly for both Dial M for Murder and Rear Window. Sorry to the country girl. Uh, Three, Marlon Brando for On the Waterfront. Two, Joan Crawford in Johnny Guitar. And number one, so that Christian does not send me hate mail, Judy Garland in A Star is Born. I'm still going to send it to you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number 10, I have Rosora Revueltas. I hope I pronounced that correctly for Salt of the Earth. Wait, Uh, before you continue, is this list going to hurt me? We'll see. We'll see. Number nine, I have Grace Kelly for Rear Window. Number eight, I have Bing Crosby for The Country Girl. Number seven, Danielle Devereux for the earrings of Madame Day. Number six, where did the jo- B come from? The what? He said Devereux. The, Are you I, trying to say Blanche Devereux? I, I probably did. <laughs> I'm sorry, because I've been we, messing up for. We've days. already said the name like 20 different times. So I figured let's throw another one in. Uh, <laughs> number six, Joan Crawford for Johnny Guitar. Number five. Yeah. You put her number 10. (laughs) (laughs) Number five, Ingrid Bergman for Journey to Italy. (laughs) Number four, James Stewart for Rear Window. Number three, Humphrey Bogart for The Cane Mutiny. Number two, I already have a lot of hate mail coming. Number two is Judy Garland for A Star is Born. And number one is the true should have been a contender. Marlon Brando for On the Waterfront. <laughs> I was there anything else I could have done? I mean, I think content this podcast 
<laughs> taken up with the ACLU GLAD human rights campaign, the FBI, the CIA, the Whole Foods Market on 95th Street, and your local noodles world kitchen. You know, I know James Mason is a friend of the podcast. Shout out, James, but like, he ain't coming back over Marlon. Come on. I got, you know what? It's a hard year for me for a lot of different things. Okay. <laughs> you took up drinking and smoking that year. All right. Best director. Go for it. God damn it. Okay. Number five, Douglas Sirk, Magnificent Obsession. Number four, Ishiro Onda for Godzilla. Number three, George Cukor for A Star is Born. Number two, Elia Kazan for On the Waterfront. And Alfred Hitchcock, number one for Rear Window. This should be straight to the point. Let's go. <laughs> number five, George Cukor for A Star is Born. Number four, Ishiro Honda for Godzilla. Uh, number three, Douglas Sirk for Magnificent Obsession. Number two, Nicholas Rayford and Johnny Guitar. And number one, I'm giving Alfred Hitchcock for both Rear Window and Island for Murder. I don't know why I did mine the way I did. Oh, well. Uh, number... <laughs> Number five, I have Ishiro Honda for Godzilla. Number four, Elia Kazan for On the Waterfront. Number three, I have Alfred Hitchcock for Dial In for Murder. Number two, Max Ophiuls for The Earrings of Madame Day. And number one, I have Alfred Hitchcock for Rear Window. Nothing, will, right ever, nothing will ever be Jack Nicholson and About Schmidt. <laughs> James Mason over Coming Marlon Brando will. That, that's ridiculous. Leave me alone. I have feelings. <laughs> I'm a sensitive soul, though. Well, I, I think what we learned here is that Brett supports McCarthyism. <laughs> uh, who had Kazan at number two on their rankings? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't me. <laughs> My nominations for best film are number 10, Dial M for Murder. Number nine, The Glenn Miller Story. Number eight, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Number seven, The Kane Mutiny. Number six, Godzilla. Number five, On the Waterfront. Don't get mad at me. Number four, Magnificent Obsession. Number three, A Star is Born. Number two, Johnny Guitar. And the real winner that year, shoulda, woulda, coulda been Rear Window. I think we have the same top three. Uh, Ten, On the Waterfront. Nine, Sabrina. Eight, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Seven, A Star is Born. Six, Magnificent Obsession. Five, White Christmas. Four, Dial M for Murder. Three, Godzilla. Two, Johnny Guitar. One, Rear Window. All right. Number ten, I have White Christmas. Number nine, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Number eight, The Country Girl. Number seven, Salt of the Earth. What about that? <laughs> Number six, The Earrings of Madame Day. Number five, Godzilla. Number four, Johnny Guitar. Number three, Dial M for Murder. Number two, On the Waterfront. And the smallest margin I've ever had between one and two, my number one is Rear Window. So what you're saying is you need to see Magnificent Obsession. Yes, I do need to see Magnificent Obsession. I don't 
think I remember you liking the country girl this much. I don't know. I feel like I, I, I defended it. It's probably afraid to because I'm worried about Christian. <laughs> this <laughs> sending me more hate been, mail. <laughs> this might have been a year where I even looked at the thing. There's a lot of good movies. It might have been our very decisive year. You mean like, divisive? What did I say? You said decisive. decisive. Listeners, <laughs> listeners, I that that we're near the end of this show. I, I, aside from Rear Window, pretty much taking a lot of the top two. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I think we all agree that Rear Window, Johnny Guitar, Godzilla, Dial in for Murder. If you saw Magnificent Obsession, that'd be up there too. But that'd be a whole other conversation. <laughs> Probably that would, be, that would be your magnificent obsession. So. <laughs> well, um, Christian went over our spiel earlier, so just rewind and listen to that. Honestly, um, this was our technically our, our our long season three finale. So we have a whole new crop of, of ten years. Um, to go over coming up next we do have a special bonus episode coming up christian i don't know how much you want to reveal about that so i'll, I'll just leave that to you it's gonna be good it's gonna be grand i totally forgot about this so looking for a guest host maybe i don't know maybe it'll just be us two what two for it hasn't been we'll a two for, for years years but if it is, it's going to be probably me attacking Brett for a probably, opinion. probably, probably about a That's Star always- is Born again. Like honestly, maybe, yeah. All right. Well, we hope you've enjoyed listening. Be sure to keep an eye out for the next one. Uh, Zay, thanks as always for joining us. Any final thoughts from you? No, no final thoughts. Empty head. Good night, <laughs> Christian. How about you? Thank you to James Mason. <laughs> Thank you to Mercedes McCambridge for us finding out you were the voice of Pazuzu in The Exorcist tonight. Don't forget Josh Gad. What? (laughs) Josh Gad. And thank you to Josh Gad. We love you, but you need to stop. (laughs) I don't even know what Josh Gad is doing anymore these days, but whatever it is, just stop. And to James Corden, bye. Thank God. It's going to be in more movies now. This is a bad thing. It's been a great season. It has been. Um, I do also want to say, despite all I said, I do want to say thank you to James Mason as well. Thanks as always for listening. Tune in next time.